It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello there, Internet Wanderers. Welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I'm a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is your favorite podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies. J.D., will there be learning? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Will there be science? (laughs) Yes. Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, You're so good at the fake (laughs) laugh. The first one sounded like you had a secret with yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I do. (laughs) Maybe I do. The secret word is unhinged. (laughs) (laughs) Theme of season two, unhinged. Very that. Uh, How are you doing, George? I am good. It is a Thursday. It is a so Thursday. That's kind of the vibe, which is like almost excited, you know. <laughs> yeah, for y'all listening, uh, Joanna and I just uh, we've been we've been on this for this Zoom for about twenty minutes, and <laughs> we've just like laughed and cried and gotten <laughs> incredibly philosophical and emotional. So <laughs> we're trying to like ramp up the energy because we both were just like kind of real te- teary just now. <laughs> Yeah, like things got real serious. Things got real serious, but good. Yeah, serious good. in a There's good a way. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of love in the Zoom right now, y'all. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of love. It's a lot of love. <laughs> um, it's so warm in Los Angeles right now. It is currently 97 degrees. And this is one of the like, oh, thank God it's cooling down days. That is horrible. I mean, New York was like that in like uh, late July, early August. And now it's, I can walk my dog weather, which is really nice that's nice it's supposed to drop by like 20 degrees but i will not be here when it does on saturday because i'm going to a, a post-covid wedding ish right they got married during covid but now they're having the party post-covid and so i'm Cute. going to kansas city to see my friends allison and james get hitched amazing but they're already hitched and they like literally have a baby and stuff yeah <laughs> so, yeah it's like They've the new created the new a way. life the new they've way created to a life in the time that they've been hitched, but uh, I'm very excited to get to go out there and uh, so fun. Yeah, see some see some friends that I love very very much. Amazing. Um. Yeah. 
Should we just get it? Let's just get into yeah. this movie because honestly, I, we don't have the emotional capacity for banter right now. Yeah, and also, so like to give you a hint, this movie is also going to bring up a lot of oh, good. emotional banter. <laughs> <laughs> so like, let's just do it, and then we'll just be in that in space. It. We'll just be in our feelings. I'm mm-hmm. very excited. I'm thrilled that it's not my choice today. I. I'm not going to lie to you, like, how close I was to choosing the house bunny this week (laughs) (laughs) because we talked about it, and I love it, Um, but I didn't. Uh, So, okay. So, the movie I chose is from 2021. Oh. Very recent. All right. Um, And there's only one tagline. Okay. So, we'll have to go to hints. Um, But the tagline is, nothing is black and white. No, mm-mm, nothing. Yeah, okay. So uh, <laughs> it's based on a novel, the, um, and it is two female leads. 2021, based on a novel, two female was, there leads. There is Oscar noms. Oscar noms for both? Uh, I think Was there a win? One. I, okay, wait. Now I'm, I'm not, No, I'm grilling myself. you too hard. It's probably... I wouldn't even know, honestly. I don't remember who won last year's Oscar. Sorry, Louis Fertel, if you're listening. Uh, is it a black and white film? Mm-hmm. The film is in black and white. Mm-hmm. And I... Did I see it? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, what movie was in black and white last year? Audience, help me out. Points the microphone at the audience. Audience says nothing. Um, it, but, okay, so race is a big part of the film. Oh, this is the one. Yes, yes, yes. This is the Ruth Nega. Mm-hmm. And is it Carmen Jogo or just Ruth Nega? Uh, Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson. Yes. This is, uh, Passing. Passing. Yes. Yeah. So Ugh. I have not seen this film. Um, I Me did neither. a little digging like when I chose it. But so I am part of like a mixed race, uh, like employee group at my job. Okay. And it is one of the only workplaces that I know that actually has a specific like employee group for people who have mixed like uh, ethnic and racial identities, right? Which right. is something that I was so thrilled about when I joined, and like immediately was uh, just really excited about. And mm-hmm. they even had like a small conference, and this was part of it um, talking about this film. But basically, the concept of passing is, uh, as it's portrayed in this film, is you know um, for like african-american or black individuals to pass Mm -hmm. as white um but there's actually like a very long history of like all marginal all marginalized groups um kind of quote-unquote passing for uh the more dominant kind of ethnic or religious groups in society like it's um happened a lot uh around world war ii with people of jewish descent it happened a lot with um chinese americans or you know people who are coming to the united states from china um it you know like there's a lot of i think passing is we're we're like gaining more language around Mm -hmm. this concept of passing or and assimilation and code switching is a big one um, and I think like me being mixed, um, 
it's been a big part of my identity. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, not, let's see. So I, I, I feel like I am passing in some circles and not right. passing in other circles. Right. And it is not up to me to decide whether I pass or not. So like, right. I won't know until I'm in a certain social situation right. whether I quote unquote pass or not. Um, and that passing may be for white or maybe for Latina. And I literally like have to adapt on the spot. And so it's been a big part of like my identity and my identity journey. And I think people who are mixed in general, like figuring, I mean, this movie is like really interesting in that it like portrays someone who's like very deliberately passing in their life and their Right, um, leaning toward like a phenotypically white experience, exactly, and, and portrayal. Yeah, and right. something that I was like reading about people who, who have like who are passing or have chosen to be passing. It's like not about denying your racial identity, but more about getting access to the privilege that's yeah, afforded. It grants you, it grants you access, yeah, a hundred percent. And it and it is the kind of thing you know. We talked about the the word passing as well when we did. Um, uh, boys don't cry mm-hmm. um, and we talked about like with trans folks and how like there there's a movement away from the word passing this film there is is well before movement away from the word passing mm-hmm. um, but that uh, that the alternative to passing is f- failing right so essentially right. if you're passing you are successfully entering into this sort of privileged sphere mm-hmm. um, and if you're not passing you are failing and you're you know you're going to be discriminated against so this is um yeah and we you know we neither of us have seen this film so there's gonna be a lot um and neither of us obviously even fully knows where we're gonna go with this you know there's actually a moment um in pop culture that i really appreciated because there was the, the wrong thing was said but sincerely uh and i think that the sentiment beneath it i really understand and sort of vibes with this so when um Darren Chris was cast as Andrew Cunanan in the um, American Crime Story Gianni yep. Versace yep. thing. They were people were very upset because mm-hmm. Andrew Cunanan is biracial, half white, half Filipino, and they were like, "You cast this white guy to play this role." And Darren Chris posted a picture of himself and said, "These are my two parents. My father is white, and my mother is Filipina." And then this is uh, so that's the moment. But the uh, the the. He then went into the press and said, I don't think I'd be as successful if I looked Filipino. And a lot of people were very upset by Mm -hmm. his words. Mm -hmm. And I think the sentiment that he's saying is the world is very racist and I have passing privilege in this in this stance. And again, like um, I do not think he was saying I'm glad I don't. I I think he used the word grateful. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful I look the way that I do because it has let it has helped with my success. And I think what he was trying to say, and I'm again. (laughs) going on a public format without a direct quote to this person y'all but um but i do want to give him a lot of space and credibility to say like he what he's naming is the problem he's not he's not buying in right on the on racism what he's naming is the world is bought in on racism and he exactly. benefits from it as such and some of his success was likely informed by some of that Absolutely. passing privilege yeah um, i really hope i did not totally <laughs> just just throw him under the bus. No, but I mean, okay, even if like like that example is a scenario is like it makes so much sense that yeah. you know what I mean that someone like I think about that with myself as well of like 
I know that I have privilege in some scenarios Mm -hmm. because of the way that I look and that my skin is not darker, like literally. And this is something that's brought to my attention when I'm in South America with my South American, you know what I mean? Like it's like that my skin color is spoken about, you know? And it's like, I know that there are benefits to that. And like, that's not because I think I'm so happy that I'm light, lighter skinned. It's because totally the way that society treats people. Totally. So yeah, so there's going to be a lot to talk about. So excited about this pick. This was definitely a movie I really wanted to see, and so I'm glad to have a reason to. Yeah, like I, um, it's serious. I'm excited for our audience to have a reason to see it. There's going to be lots of like serious discussion, but also I feel like. I'm going to get into, like, my own stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, get ready. <laughs> get, buckle up, buttercup. Yeah, so we will be All right. right back. Well, there is our outro music, so I guess let's take a little bit of a break. Do for it. For a commerce. And when we get back, y'all, we are going to break down passing for you, and we're going to solve racism. <laughs> no, I have nothing to add to that. That's, I'm going to leave it like that. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, the white man has spoken. Perfect. (laughs) Bye. We'll see you in a minute. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Yeah. This. This is a film. A film. A film. I was going to say that exact thing. <laughs> this was a proper film. It sure was. My, my film professor, when I was studying abroad in London, would actually say it that way. A proper film. A film? A film. Uh, this was a film. It sure was. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was incredible i mean it's based off of like a novel i think a novel there's so much like nuance like it's like <laughs> i feel like i haven't watched a lot of movies or films like films. this recently mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. i've been like yeah we watch movies on this podcast yeah, like, what I are you like, doing and i've been like binge watching like you know parks and rec and modern family totally. and my, it's just like very um palatable spelled out like shoved in your face like very low uh brain power kind of yeah and this one required 
brain power. When I would look down at my phone while I was sitting and watching it, because I'm an American, <laughs> uh, and I would look down at my phone while I was watching it, something would happen, and I would have to be like, wait, I don't understand how the beats of that scene now. Yeah, and it's like there, there was are so looks. much that was unspoken. Yeah, there are looks. And so many scenes that just sort work. of end, yeah, with just like a look, and then the scene ends. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned some stuff about this film that I want to cool. name before we contextualize it. So this film is directed by Rebecca Hall. Yes. Who is a British actor. Yes. Uh, and director, obviously. <laughs> Because yeah. she directed this film. Um, so actually, in a very similar thing to what we talked about in the intro with Darren Chris, I was like, this seems problematic. Mm-hmm. And then I learned Rebecca Hall is biracial. Yep. Did not know this. Rebecca Hall's grandfather actually like passed. He's an he was an he she is English, but he was African American and for years passed, like left his community right. to pass as white. Um, Rebecca Hall's mother is what we would describe as more phenotypically biracial. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, I, I was like, I, I got, I, mean, I got, I judged. Like, I was like, oh no, this, totally. this white woman is directing this thing. No, absolutely. <laughs> it's like the first thing. I mean, and it, and it's like, for her to have to back up, I guess, like her interest in this film with like a per, you know the fact that it's oh, 100%. personal 100%. it's like how problematic is that but it is also like okay it, it makes the one half dozen yeah. of the other and that yeah, like yeah. we also like this is such a specific narrative to tell that and yeah. and the direction in this film is so strong that it like is. Yes, I agree. Like a white director could have a, 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 a good, important, valuable take on this. However, th- this film gets one take. And I mm-hmm. think we need to, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's different, even like the difference between like film and uh, theater, where right. it's like, okay, like this is this production of mm-hmm. Othello. It's maybe not horrible that a white person is directing it, but. That's the also like let's make room for lots of productions and lots right. of mountings of these different things, right? right? Whereas films, you know, you get maybe one, m- maybe every ten to fifteen years if it gets a reboot, right? But like, um, but yeah. So I, I thought that was super interesting and important. Yeah, and notable. I think good to share too. Yeah. Yeah. So should we let's talk? Especially we've already just been talking about this film without talking about this film and I have a feeling this is a film that a lot of our audience haven't seen mm-hmm. um, and so why don't we summarize it um, it's actually there's not a lot of story in this yeah I, I was as I was watching it was thinking this is going to be kind of challenging to synopsize I think we do it briefly yeah. and I also I, I think on this one because so many folks haven't probably seen this we'll do it briefly and we'll do it uh, in a way that they hopefully can watch it and still really get a lot from the experience. Mm-hmm. We, where it's not gonna, it, we're, I, I'm certainly not gonna say like, it will, the definite spoiler alert here. Like we're gonna talk about the, some of the yes. most important plot points, but this film is so rich that like, even just the, these two sets of eyes, there we will miss 95% of like what goes on in this mm-hmm. film. Um, because again, there's not a lot of plot, or there's not a lot of story, but there's a whole lot of plot, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a whole lot of texture to the whole film. Totally. Um, so, where do we start? Starts with Irene, which is kind of like 
She's kind of the narrator, the main character of the yeah, story. Yeah, she's, she's the center point. Um, Tessa she, Thompson. Mm-hmm. She is in definitely like a white area of a city. She's looking yeah, for she's a toy. Yeah, she's in a white, a white area. We later find out it's New York. It's very hot. It's summer. She's mm-hmm. looking for a toy. She's wearing a hat quite low over her yes. eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's only around white people. And you can see that she is tense and she's keeping her hat low. But um, again, the film is also called Passing. So we really do walk into this sort of experience of like, oh, you are uh, passing right Right. now, huh? Um, And then it it, it becomes this sort of like, the, the film sort of starts off then after she leaves this toy store when she goes to... Uh, a cafe or a, a restaurant and shortly after entering um, a woman comes up to her Ruth Nega mm-hmm. Claire uh, and says hey um, Rini it's me Rini it's me and she's like I don't know I don't know you I don't know you and then it clicks and she's like oh my god Claire it's right. you and and we sort of and and you catch the moment where she realizes that she's passing that she mm-hmm. is living a white life she's right. blonde She's living a white life. And so they go up to her suite at this hotel. And? And uh, they visit. They kind of uh, catch up. Um, I think Irene is really, like, mind-boggled by, like, someone who would essentially do this full-time right who would like choose a a full existence this way and it's something that yeah you know she asks about and asks about children and asks about her husband and you see this like scene where the husband comes home who is white alexander skarsgård is it him alexander skarsgård yeah okay i thought it was him and then i was like but yeah okay so um skarsgård skarsgård Peter Sarsgaard, Alexander Skarsgaard. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're different families. There's a lot of Skarsgaards and only one Sarsgaard. Right. I mean, I'm sure he's got a family too. Right. Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, he comes home. They kind of talk. I mean, they talk about race immediately. They talk about race immediately. He uh, instantly says, uh, that I don't is, dislike, you know, blacks. I hate them or something. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't dislike. Yeah, he doesn't use the word blacks, but um, uh, he hates them. And then he says his wife hates them even more than he does. She refuses to be around them. She refuses to have them in the house. Yeah. Which, I mean, immediately makes sense, right? right. Where you're like, sure, like she doesn't yeah. want. Yeah, and anybody and so to recognize. He uses a racial slur. You see, like him think that Irene is white because she's passing, right? Like, in this scenario. And in so, this scenario, yeah. Um, she's really uncomfortable, obviously, yeah. and um, she leaves and goes back to her house in Harlem, Harlem. with her non-passing black husband who's a doctor uh-huh. they uh-huh. live very well like they yes. have two beautiful boys they have a um housekeeper um you know she's like very involved in the negro league that yeah. they talk about and so um you know you see her kind of like really 
living in this life uh and you it's like hard to like summarize because you see some some i guess curiosity on her end about claire it's kind of this lingering feeling it's it's like an aversion but it's also something that's pulling her towards her right claire is kind of she writes her a letter that talks about like wild desire and you can see there's some uh nostalgia or her kind of missing being around people who are the same race as her yeah and her not really knowing how to reconcile that but wanting you know drawn to irene as well and wanting to spend more time with her um i actually saw an interview with uh ruth nega who plays claire and rebecca hall and they sort of named that um that in this uh film what's interesting is that claire is feeling by by passing she's isolating herself from mm-hmm. all of, of her community from this community of black folks that she loves. And so by, by passing, she is getting the, the sort of access to this, to what whiteness provides, but she's also losing a huge part of herself. But simultaneously, Claire is the freest one there in terms of being herself Mm -hmm. in these different spaces. So it's this weird thing where Claire sort of comes into these spaces and she's so open and she's so she's so like gregarious and flirtatious and attractive and um and uh, which is a real contrast to Tessa Thompson who feels very bound and constricted right. but right. she has access to and she does work within this community like she's really dedicated a lot of her life to right um you know working within her community and and identifying within her community um and so it's this, it's this strange sort of back and forth because Claire needs them to have access to black spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're sort of using Claire to free themselves up within black spaces. Right. Um, and maybe just, uh, again, can, since folks, I want to encourage you to watch it if you haven't seen it. But suffice it to say, there becomes sort of this not quite romantic entanglement but a real like relational entanglement between claire uh and irene Irene and and her husband brian Mm -hmm. where there's sort of this triangulation that occurs where it seems like both brian and and irene have some attraction toward and we'll use the word attraction very broadly Mm -hmm. um and the film also does not specify right um where you can feel some sort of tension kind of from both of them between the other and they sort mm-hmm. of see that you're freer with her than you are with me mm-hmm. and they struggle and Atessa Thompson especially really struggles to be free with her husband mm-hmm. um, I mean I read this as coded very queer but I'm also like you know yeah, a very queer I, I think, person so is Tessa well, Thompson I think that was um, like I watched interviews with Rebecca Hall and mm-hmm. Ruth Nega and you know like I think that was intentional and yeah. I think that was really like strong undertones of the novel as well that Rebecca Hall like really wanted to make sure to include yeah and highlight and so I think that's right yeah um, um yeah yeah and so in the end um uh R- Ruth Nega is found out yeah. Uh, because Tessa Thompson is found out. Right. And that 
uh, leads to um, a, a bad end for Ruth Nega, for, for Claire, as we've sort of seen coming. And it, that's kind of the end of the film. Yeah, I mean, we, sh- like, I, should we fully <laughs> say what happens? I mean, yeah, we yeah, can. Like, she dies. She, she dies, yeah. She, she falls dies. out of a window, and it is very unclear who is responsible. I know, I had to rewind it. Um, and it, it, but that was intentional too, because I saw an interview with Rebecca Hall, and even in the book, it's the same, like this very abrupt, like, wait, what happened? Um, and it seems very unclear whether she just kind of fell out of the window, whether Irene pushed her, whether her husband pushed her. We don't know whether she accidentally jumped back and mm-hmm. and fell, or whether she just knew. Yeah, this like is this it. was it. Yeah. This is it. Um, but it, it, I also think like it, because the real power of that in this film is that um, it really is just being found out is what killed her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not even, there, it, there's no one act of any person that, right. that did it. Right. Being found out is what killed her, um, which I think is a, you know, really interesting. Um, that is the shortest synopsis we've ever done. Um, yeah. I'm proud of us. Um, so we, there's a lot to talk about within this. And, and I think a lot of this is really even just going to be about these concepts. I mean, we had a long intro as we went into it. Just how much this is an important sort of subject for you, um, sort of having one foot in, yeah. in these different worlds. Ruth Nega actually is half Ethiopian, half Irish. Uh, and she shared, and she did most of her schooling in England. And she shared that she's always. They were like, "Oh, do you do you do you identify with this character?" And she was like, "No. This character uh, is choosing to feel other in this one space, uh, and she's opting into that. I've never had a choice. I've always just been other. There's actually nowhere that I get to fit in, yeah. especially because of her." truly biracial, bicultural experience mm-hmm. that like she's not enough of one in either space. And then yeah. when she's in a third space, she's once again, just this sort of other. Yeah. I, I think so. The research that I did, I realized like, cause this movie is not about being biracial or multiracial. Right. right? It's, right. it's actually about colorism yes. and privilege. And we can talk about that, but yeah, um, all of the research I did was actually on the multiracial experience. So maybe we can talk about stuff related to the movie and just like define yeah. colorism and, and just like go yeah. into that first because the film is, is not really about that. Although that's how I interpret it because I saw it through like my lens. And well, my I think though to give you some, I think that you saw it through a 2022 lens mm-hmm. at the time, culturally speaking, there was no biracial Right. In terms of black and white, if you were white, well, there or was. White, it was just like black. Not, yeah, it was seen as as just black, like right. that. So, so, um, and they name actually the character uh, of Claire says that after her mother passed away, she went and lived with her white aunts. Mm-hmm. So you know that she has white family. So mm-hmm. she is biracial. Yeah. Um. So I think that like, but at the time there wasn't this like I'm both of these identities. Right. It was like no, you're not white enough. 
therefore you're faking white. Right. Well, there was like literally percentages and things that like laws, like laws, percentages. um, So, so you named something which is colorism, which I think we've probably talked about at some point. Yeah, I think so. But we haven't, not in the detail we're going to talk about today. So the difference between racism and colorism, um, uh, I'm doing this, I've definitely studied this extensively, but I'm, so I'm going off of my sort of collective understanding, but Please inform this, change this, all yeah, this as so I say Yeah, there's so much it. like very well. There's a lot of variation um, and, and lots of literature, but essentially, racism uh, is uh, bias or uh, discrimination based on um, phenotypic features that are associated with a single sort of racial and also. I always have to include this like cultural set. Racism mm-hmm. has culture in it; like you mm-hmm. can't pull it out. Racism also has color in it. Mm-hmm. So colorism which is um, a much easier concept to understand, which is just a bias against darker skin tone, right? So more highly melanated skin equals you experience more sort of encounters of oppression, of bias, of discrimination, um, and marginalization. Mm -hmm. What would you sort of add, change, adjust in that? Yeah, I think the examples of colorism that I see are uh, the most, and this is like specific to my... Sure racial identity I guess but it's like within a race so like because I'm South American like within South America there's I like notice a lot of colorism right more so than racism right because right a lot of people are are you know like uh identify as like Latina Latina right right but so there's like a lot of colorism in terms of like how dark is your skin mm-hmm impacts the way that you're treated basically yes um we have a good friend from grad school who said that her grandmother would always tell her never to go out in the sun uh she's there's so many people who's like and her grandmother would say don't go in the sun Totally. Don't go in the sun. You want to be as light as possible. And that's, that's that was what I was told too by my like family that is darker in color, you know, and it's like or even just like, oh, you look like um his my mom's uh like heritage is European, like Spanish, and then indigenous, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of like, oh, that's the Sp- that's the European side. Oh, how can I tie what I look like to Spanish ancestry or like European right. ancestry versus, oh, you look indigenous or like, oh, you look more like this side of the family, right. meaning completely indigenous, and it's like very like you can tell one is preferred, right, and within. Lots of communities, this is seen. So we see this a lot in the media in terms of like uh, women of color on the covers of magazines, having Mm -hmm. their photos lightened, um, having their their skin tones edited to seem lighter. Um, And we see these kinds of things a a lot, right? The the number of, uh, like we look at the history of like, you know, uh, black identified women in film and like the the majority, when, when, when quote like, they started bringing in like more diverse folks. The first step would be to bring in people that look as close to white as possible, right. um, lighter skin tones, um, more phenotypically white facial features, whatever that means. Um, but sort of this this kind of thing. Uh, and so this, uh, and then within this within groups, right? There's a lot of um, particularly within uh, the black community. Uh, you hear a lot about people referring to like light skinned versus dark skinned. Mm-hmm. Uh, experiences and how those are, um, you know, very different. And there's also, and it goes both ways, 
right? Like, it, which is interesting. So like, yes, uh, there is, as we've said with colorism, typically like more privilege associated with like lighter skin tone. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there's also this sort of like reverse um, animosity that can occur within these spaces. Um, one of my good friends uh, posted a video on, on YouTube. She is a biracial uh, black and white woman and she identifies primarily as black given that that is how she is perceived in the world and she has many people within the black community saying like you don't even know what this is like right you you don't know what it's like to be black and so people sort of i mean it's similar to what we were talking about with the culture right people based on her skin tone uh saying that she can't know what blackness feels like which is like um you know for anybody to say what anybody feels is not great. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think like the multiracial experience is like you 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 can get it from both sides, right? So you yeah. can be not accepted by either community and mm-hmm. that is way worse of an outcome than than at least, you know, if you're monoracial, right? Um and you're not part of this like dominant uh right. like group you at least have like a group that you identify with, right? And I think like there is some studies that have shown that, um, you know, like discrimination uh, that a multiracial individual uh, like experiences is actually worse than their monoracial peers. Wow. Um, because they lack the full community experience? Yeah, and because they can't find that community. Right. Um, and I will say like, again, like anecdotal or like personal experience. When I went to college, I remember being so excited. I don't know if I talked about this and maybe to you, but maybe not on the podcast, but I went to college. So I grew up in a very like white, uh, community. Uh, I was like the token, like mm. ethnic friend. Mm. Um, I had lots of micro, like now looking back, like, oh, these were like microaggressions by very well-intentioned people who liked me. I didn't feel disliked, but I definitely felt othered a lot. Sure. Um, and so when I went to college, I remember being like, oh my gosh, there's like a Latinos uh, Students Association. I'm going to join. That was like the first thing I signed up for. I was like so excited. Like finally, like things are going to make sense (laughs) because that wasn't even an opportunity where I grew up to even find a community of people like that. So I remember I went like first weeks of school, went to like a mixer or something for new students. And I walked in and was immediately just like, I have no idea what is going on. Right. They're speaking Spanglish. I don't speak Spanish. Like, right. they're talking about these, like, very culturally specific references that I do not understand. Mm-hmm. And I felt it was, like, a, a really, like, upsetting experience because I, like, thought this was the answer. Like, oh, this is where right. I will be accepted. This and I felt so much more isolated than and I had ever felt, like, in any mm. kind of space. And so um, one of the most validating things was, like, at my job right now, there's like this mixed, and I mentioned it in the intro, like a mixed, uh, yeah. individuals, like, um, like employee group. And that is like the most validated, validated I've ever felt is like talking mm. to these people who have had the same exact experiences of like, 
yep, didn't feel accepted here and also didn't feel accepted here. And I'm like, yeah, like that in and of itself is my experience. There's no like magical place and middle ground that I'm going to find, right? It's like all the people who can't find that middle ground, I guess, or like who have difficulties having one foot in each of these worlds. Mm -hmm. That's the place, you know? But like Mm -hmm. that took a while because I was like thinking it was a certain like ethnic part of myself that would be the answer or something. Right. Um, And so, you know, it is really, I got like totally sidetracked on what we were talking about, but it is really interesting. That's fine, you're telling your story, so that's I know. Interesting. (laughs) It is is really interesting to like think about that as well of just like, you know, you want to speak to your experience and that's just not going to be enough for kind of either side when you're a multiracial person right yeah and you're just gonna always hear something from somebody which is like the the other thing about passing about colors and whatever like you don't always get to define that totally right like i feel like this film is is showing two women who it it seems like they've made choices right yes and and that, that is important that um that tessa thompson's character they name would have the option to pass yeah. if she wanted to. Yeah. I mean, she that, she did successfully for an afternoon. And, like, yeah, it is mm-hmm. pointed out to her. And there's a lot of really interesting, like, tension within her family because her husband is darker-skinned, her children are darker-skinned. Mm-hmm. There's conversations about what's happening in the, in the black community, like lynchings and mm-hmm. horrible things that are happening that the the husband, Brian, like, believes is important to share with his to young talk sons. To kids about, yeah. And she, you know, does not want them to be, like, you know, upset, made upset about right. the, this kind of news and this kind of, like, happenings that are going on. And it speaks to, you know, her kind of privilege as a lighter-skinned person, like, uh, not understanding how critical it is to have these conversations because the world is 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 noticing anyway right there's like one of the sons is is called like a racial slur yeah and the the husband like reminds her of that like this is happening whether you want them to know about it or not yeah and they need to be educated and they need to understand yeah and she wants to avoid shield them yeah and it's i think you know there's there's a part of that's just like like uh like parental differences but i think too like some of it is the fact that maybe she does experience less of this in her everyday life because right she's also her skin is lighter she's also a woman so they Mm -hmm. name like men particularly being lynched for alleged assaults Mm -hmm. on um white women right which you know she's she's less likely to be targeted in that way but also she can pass yeah. And her sons can't and her husband can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's um there's also interesting themes throughout this of where where you sort of realize like oh this woman seems really depressed. Like she takes yes. a lot of naps and like there are even like <laughs> moments where like the son is like oh are you going to go upstairs and take a nap and it's like right. the middle of the morning. Right. And she's, and she's like, like of course no, not. No, of of course not. And you sort of realize that like it she she's, may do this a lot. She may do this a lot. Yeah. Um, she has some dissociative kind of moments, but. Um, yeah. And yeah. We all do. 
Don't we all? Don't um, we all? Yeah. So I think. Do you want to get into the multiracial stuff? Yeah, yeah let's go for it. Because <laughs> that's the the research that I've done. Um, so there's some statistics, but these are like a bit outdated. But this is what I could find. So it's about 2.5 percent of the population uh, self-identifies as like multiracial. But this is as of like 2010s, 2013. Okay. Um, so that. Uh, is probably different now, but the the increase in that population between just between 2010 and 2012 was four times more than any other racial group. Um, yeah. So uh, another statistic is like one in seven marriages in the United States are among interracial couples. Okay. Um, and so you know this is a increasing size of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, in Great Britain, I know in 2007 when I was studying there and I was doing a lot of like race and ethnic relations work, they said the fastest growing ethnic group in Britain is uh, multiracial. The yeah. sort of multiracial checkbox was the totally fastest growing sense. group. Yeah. And so I looked at the multiracial experience um, discrimination. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned before, like, you know, these microaggressions or discrimination um, that multiracial uh, individuals experience can be worse than that of mm-hmm. their kind of monoracial counterparts. Um, Talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally your monoracial counterpart. You are. I am. Uh, that's a fun way to talk about my friends. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but, you know, th- there's a lot of like, it is, there's like overt discriminatory attacks, like mm-hmm. shoving, pushing, like mm-hmm. name calling, things like that. Mm-hmm. There's these microaggressions of just this like, Messages that they are not monoracial enough to fit in, to quote unquote fit in. And those are the ones that are just like incredibly common. Right. Um, And so there's been research done on mental health in multiracial individuals. Um, So Jackson and colleagues have done a lot of this work, but they looked at, you know, higher levels of perceived racial discrimination related to higher distress distress symptoms. Um, and that's specifically depression more than like anxiety and stress, although all of those are elevated, but depression has come up in several studies as like mm-hmm. having, um, like being more related to like the, these higher levels of discrimination. Um, and so, and this is compared to monoracial peers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this kind of model called the multiracial identity integration model mm-hmm. based off of a biracial identity integration model. Presumably this is like more that like inclusive. Right. Multifactorial. Um, yeah. So this is Chang and Lee. Uh, so it's the extent to which a person perceives their multiple identities as aligned and integrated. So there's kind of two uh, concepts here. There's racial conflict and racial distance. So, Racial conflict refers to a multiracial person's perception of conflict between his or her multiple racial identities, mm-hmm. um, and, or whether or not like the values and norms of each of these groups inherently oppose each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then racial distance refers to the multiracial person's perceptions that their multiracial identities are distinct from one another. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the idea is that low racial conflict, low racial distance may lead to more kind of harmony, integration, uh, 
within, you know, allowing for a stronger sense of self, like less internal conflict and associated with more positive psychological outcomes, like even professional motivation, like achievement, um, decreased stress, um, better social relationships. Um, And so there's a study that looked at multiracial identity integration and positive uh, and mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's the survey with um, hundreds of multiracial young adults Mm-hmm. So as experiences with racial discrimination increased, so did levels of depression, which makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, um, totally. But they looked at this multiracial identity integration as a mediator. Okay. And they found some some partial mediation. So there's some other explanatory variables here that make sense uh, that you would expect. But uh, at least somewhat this idea about like having higher experiences of racial discrimination is associated with higher racial conflict, racial yeah. distance, yeah, which is associated with higher rates of depression. Okay. Um, and so, you know, navigating two or more cultures uh, can cause challenges, um, integrating these kind of different elements mm-hmm. um, and lead to this kind of internal conflict, right, that might lead to distress. Um, and especially if those, those like, um, you know, the the navigating those cultures, they're also dealing right. with negative messages about one or yeah. more of those cultures. That can also be, you know, lead to greater risk for negative mental health. Um, yeah. And, and more internal conflict about their racial identity, desire to distance themselves emotionally from that racial identity, uh-huh. um, resulting in increased depressive symptoms. I mean... Oof. To me, this feels like just like this was me in. I was gonna say, I know. I mean, <laughs> having been friends with you for yeah. many, many years, I can think of several anecdotes you've shared about yeah, things that like, uh, people have said from one side of your family about the other side of your family. Um, I don't yeah. want to call out your own business on. on no, but, but you, yeah, I know like there literally, are real even examples. Within, even within my family, yeah, let alone oh, like spaces totally. that I've been in. Um, standards being just a little different for you and your sisters than for other cousins. Yes. Things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so, Uh you know, that kind of like literal distance from, from family members, like in a way for sure was internalized and Mm -hmm. led to like some, some challenges, some internal conflict for sure. Um, so this, yeah, this makes total sense to me. Um, it really, seems so face valid right that like these the way that this leads to ongoing oppression increases likelihood of depression mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so i thought that was interesting i think too like and i think you did a little research here but just like i guess to name like the state of research and psychology in general or just like our ability to talk about this in like an academically informed way is only as good as like how informed the research was the practices the people involved right so you know there's a lot of like like how do how do you even study like multiracial uh people how do you study racism like how do you study these things when you know a lot of psychology was founded by straight white men right right and and how do you like reconcile that um and so yeah you have any 
thoughts about that? Yeah, well, I mean, what you're naming is something really important, right? Because like even the outcome that we're looking at with this particular metric that you're discussing is depression. Mm -hmm. And depression is a diagnosis where the symptom clusters that we have labeled as this equals depression are normed on white people. Exactly. So even just the ways in which depression presents uh, is going to be totally different. I've probably talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but like I do weekly testing at the university that I work at for ADHD. Mm-hmm. And when asking like a woman or, or uh, a woman of color, like if as a young child, she was highly distracting in class because that's one of the symptoms that would help dictate whether somebody meets the criteria is such a broken way to say that because culturally speaking, like the expectations of people of color in classrooms uh, and whether it's appropriate to speak out, the, the threshold for it being okay to interrupt the teacher or to make noise or be distracting is so much higher than yeah. for young white boys, right? Mm-hmm. Who, so like, so all of this stuff like is so fraught because, you know, when we look at any diagnosis just about it has been normed on white people mm-hmm. or at the very least, the things, the, the eight things that came before it were normed on white people. Right. And so even if we have these sort of what we call um, culturally bound syndromes. Mm -hmm. So there are certain things that we do associate to like individual cultural experiences. But even within those, it doesn't include a multicultural sort of experience, a multicultural understanding. And so we do know that there are different ways that within cultures that um, mental health problems, uh, mental health struggles, symptoms show up. Um, However, like what we really just need is far more universal and broad research and even more importantly is we need like just a more diverse group of researchers because like it's it's like when we talked about the technology uh with the racist technology in i can't remember what episode that was but we talked about like facial recognition software being Mm -hmm. racist and it's and it's not that the people who made it are proactively racist is that the people who made it are white exactly So, so the the things that they are looking for isn't you know we need more just truly a broader set of eyes not that the eyes need to be set broadly but we need like a (laughs) you know a wider range of cultural experiences behind the eyes that are looking at these studies that are looking at the research it's like when we talked about that that stupid paper when we did um when we did call me by your name and we talked about the fact that they wrote a paper in 2019 that was like, does bisexuality exist? Here's real evidence that says that it does. And it was like, clearly no one bisexual worked on that. Right. Because it's like so insane that they would even need to ask the the question, right? You naming like as, as a biracial person, you're like, Oh, Oh, okay. You're saying this happens to people. Like it's so silly. And so like a, a lot of this is really fraught, but we are, um, you know, in a place where more and more and more there is a push for this kind of work. The the real f- funny thing that, again, like the, the number one way to get published is for your research to be novel, mm-hmm. meaning your research has to be unique and not done before, um, which is n- not always the best. We need we also need replication. Oh, it's a huge problem. It's a huge actually, problem. Yeah. However, when it comes to studies like this of like racial and cultural experiences, a lot of this work is novel right now, which means it's actually highly publishable. And it's the kind of thing that people are interested in. We just need to make a huge changes in, you know, who are the faculty in terms of these like clinical psych researchers. I mean, um, yeah. And the infrastructures are not set up. Like that's a slow it's, change. Well, I mean, literally they're trying to make all the changes right now in hiring 
at this very moment. They're I, trying yeah. to correct decades with like just this right now. Right. Um, but which, still like tenure track positions are only as available as the white men the white professors leave yeah yeah basically (laughs) literally as the white professors leave and those jobs are so cushy that nobody leaves them you can do them well into your 80s because it's such a low impact job by the time you're at that level and it pays hundreds of thousands of dollars a year plus you've already like fully vested into your anyways it's crazy um but yeah i think like you you you're making a great point here though that like the the research isn't isn't perfect because even to do this research is so based in these sort of you know, unidimensional kinds of things. Um, one of the things that I researched is uh, something called the implicit association test, which yes. I think you're familiar with, I right? I am familiar. So Harvard, the folks at Harvard, which they've never done a racist thing in their lives, <laughs> um, the folks at Harvard uh, developed this test called the implicit association test. IAT. And this test, you look it up, actually. If you go online, y'all, look up IAT Harvard. You can take an IAT for all sorts of things. You so sure this can. test is made to measure, you know, quote unquote. There's a lot of this is not a perfect test, and we'll talk about some of why it's a little simplistic and you know one, unidimensional. But this test is made to measure implicit biases. So what it does is um, it to use like a, one of the most famous ones is this like black and white. Uh, you know, implicit bias, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have a preference for whiteness or blackness? Mm-hmm. And um, what it does is it, it's a four round test. So the first round, um, you have two buttons to click left, left and right. Um, it's on your keyboard. It's, it's some letters, but I can't remember which ones, but you have a left button and a right button. And so it'll say like when a good, when a good word pops up on the screen uh, and it'll just be words that are good or bad um, and that are pretty, objectively good or bad mm-hmm. it'll be like disgust you'll be like oh that's a bad word right like, right anyways but it'll be when a word is good you know tap left when a word is bad tap right and then it'll be when when a picture of a person is white press you know press left and when a person is black press right mm-hmm. and then so that's the two sort of tests just to get you a, a uh, affiliated and then it mixes them for the second two rounds mm-hmm. so then it'll do one where it says when something is good or white tap left and when something is bad or black tap right and then it flips them and when it says something is bad or white tap left and when something is good or black tap right mm-hmm. and so the way this works as, as I'm sure y'all scientists out there are thinking um, so this test measures your reaction time the speed and the number of errors that mm-hmm. you make so how quickly you're able to do it and how many errors you make while doing it and as, as y'all can probably guess, for most people, when they take an IAT, they, these are measuring real um, biases that are pretty typical, right? Most people who take the IAT um, have an easier time associating good things with whiteness and bad things with blackness. Right. Um, they do these things, they've, and they've designed dozens of these IATs. So you can do one for colorism, you can do one for... Um, for uh, for Muslim or Arab like uh, identities, you can do one for queerness. You can do um, ones for opinions about guns. Like there's mm-hmm. there's a million ways, and it's and it's a really interesting thing to do. Um, I would compare this test. It, this test is very informative in the sense that it like can sort of spike like red flags for you to be like, oh, I really do need to be checking what some of my assumptions are, what some of my biases are, what's kind of like living underneath that, um, and 
this is also, this test is not a perfect measure of like racistness. It right? is a huge issue, actually. It's a because huge issue. It's, it's not actually a good measure of individual attitudes right. about race, but more right. of like socially programmed and like institutionalized yes. bias, right? Yes. And so like you may be, um, you know, like, not think of yourself or not like be discriminating against people uh that you know in your daily life behaviorally whatever through your actions but you may score very badly like very biased on this this test if you are really um subjected to a lot of the messaging and institutionalized bias that you see around right absolutely yeah i mean i think one of the things that 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 i most see potentially and feel free to have have a rebuttal to this but for me like one of the ways that i see this being the most uh helpful one of the best uses for this would be to use this on like our police force and i totally disagree well great let's 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 and and tell me please tell me why i'm wrong i'll explain the sort of obvious reasons why why i think that yeah and i i'm fully convinced you're going to be right about this but i'm going to say it and you're going to correct it so um so Basically, when you are drawing a gun and there are people in the field, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, people, we, we have lots of information that shows that police are more likely to react violently, to draw guns to shoot at black folks. Mm-hmm. So to me, the reason I'm saying that is that like it could be really like it's important to have police officers really checking like their implicit mm-hmm. biases. Mm-hmm. But I'm really curious to see why you disagree. Yeah. OK. So because this test doesn't measure uh, individual bias very well. It measures like one's understanding of like systemic kind of bias or one's like uh, susceptibility to like, you know, um, and and one of the big problems, because I've studied some of this, like these populations specifically, but one of the biggest issues is an us versus them mentality and if you tell police officers hey you're more racist you're more biased than the average person and that's why you're shooting black people you're actually um exacerbating that us versus them mentality i think that the better way i mean again this is a hugely complicated problem there's no one easy solution this is something that so many smart people before we end it today (laughs) so many smart people are like you know working on um it's it's this minimizing this us versus them. So like talking about like that everybody's biased, that everyone is susceptible to the same okay. like programming, that a- anyone like, and, and again, this may or may not be true, but an, yeah. a, an, an idea of something of like anyone who is given a uniform and a gun and put in a situation where they, right. you know, like have to think really quickly may be more likely to shoot someone who is black versus white because of systemic racism and it, like the, the, these messages that yeah, we've yeah. been taught as a society, not because you as an individual are a bad person. Right. And again, like I, this is the idea, like this is my idea of like, I, I think that's what would go further Yeah. because I think when we isolate or try to like think about the police force as a specialized population who has mm-hmm. like who is maybe more racist than the general population which again may or may not be true it's not true 
Yeah. Um, I think, I honestly think it may be true because of our, we're reinforcing them. them. Yeah. We're reinforcing them to be more kind of banded together and protective of each other. And that kind of like is, I mean, I just think like the general population is pretty racist and denial about it. That's, That's the main reason. Not that I think like, yeah, yeah. Uh, the better the cops are not racist. The better I think approach too is to empower, like, or enable, or provide as many opportunities for police to not have to make like, snap judgments. Snap like judgments. That. Yeah. Um, because most people who make snap judgments are relying on no rational part of their brain. Right. Yeah. Um, their you know fear based instincts, and that's very hard to train and to teach. So teaching everyone that black folks are more in danger by police actually would help more than being like, you're actually more anti-black than that guy next to you. Exactly. Or just like, yeah. every, like black people are more in danger because society tells us that black people are more dangerous. Are dangerous. Yeah. That is, and everybody, no matter who you are, is, has been programmed that way. Oh, 100%. And so that, I think, would go a longer way. I mean, again, this is like my... Based off of my like, re- like my understanding, and there's smarter people that are working on this, but like that is my opinion. Is like, I think that would go a further way than being like cops need to, you know, go under like yeah. undergo bias training because they're so racist. And it's like, you know, that's not really helping things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know what? If we were getting a grade on this podcast today, I think it would be a passing one. <laughs> I like, it's funny, but also I'm like mad at you because that was a bad joke. <laughs> like a really bad joke. It's a really bad joke. Oh man. We were doing oh, so great up until that point. Uh, I, I love this pick. This pick is so different from anything else that we've done. Yeah, it is this a, is. it feels like a different one, but it feels like we got to be a little more personal, a little bit more, I don't know, talking about important shit that, like, you should continue reading and, and thinking about these things and as we are. And, you know, I, I think this yeah. is, like, part of such an ongoing, the, the, the tiniest introduction, beginning of this conversation. Absolutely. And yeah. this is just... The beginning of our conversation. So, totally. like, y'all to be engaging in this in your spaces mm-hmm. and in your communities and, you know, checking in with your friends and their experiences. One of the things that I found really powerful about this movie is the, is the line where um, the, the, there's a white man asking Tessa Thompson, oh, can you always tell? Do you just have an instinct? And she was like, I'm not any better at telling than you are. But he sort of makes the point where she says... Um, but I know it'd be an awful lot harder for, or it's harder for a white person to portray being a person of color than it is for um, a person of color to pretend to be a white person. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is speaking to a lot of what we're talking about here with these experiences of marginalization, the nicheness of these things. Like, in, like for the majority to understand the experience enough to embody the experience of the marginalized is right. so hard. Yeah. And in a way, that's what we're trying to do by talking about this film. And I recognize that, like, again, let's once again name I am a white person. Mm-hmm. This is not my experience. But you know, we're trying to engage and talk about it. And you're so generous with your own story and your own experience that I just really, 
I really enjoyed just like listening to you on this Aww. episode. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Well, we did it. We solved everything. We did it. And now I know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, great. Okay. Um, we got through this whole podcast without mentioning Rachel Dolezal even once. I know. It was hard, but it we was did hard. It. Yeah. Um, all right, y'all. Well, I have been Dr. J.D. Barton. And I have been Dr. Joanna Whitkin. This has been another gorgeous episode of Real Psych. Like, Please. rate, subscribe, tell, tell a friend. Tell a friend, tell two friends. <laughs> and have a great day and keep it real. We'll see you next week. Psych! <laughs> Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.